Thank you um, again for, for being here and joining us, especially if, if uh, you're new here, you're not a regular. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, we are the church. Um, we're Harvest. We're a gathering of Christ seekers and Christ followers on a mission to, to leave the world a better place, and we found it, and that's our hope and desire. And if we can be of, of service to you, um, that's our delight, and that's our joy. This uh, last week on Thursday was a very sad day in uh, my household and the Kim family. Uh, it was Thursday morning, I believe, that uh, Olivia was uh, washing the dishes and the coffee pot fell on the floor and break, broke and it shattered into millions of little pieces. And immediately, Olivia started going crazy. She said, oh my goodness, this is the end of the world. My morning routine is forever going to be ruined. How will I have the energy and the strength with which to carry out my duties? And, and she fell into a heap and rolled up into a ball in the corner and started bawling her eyes out. I knew that I needed to act quickly. In our pantry, we had as a gift, uh, someone had given us a big, huge box of uh, instant coffee, iced coffee from Korea. I got I got to jump on it. I here I come to save the day. And so I ran into that thing and I said, "Don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to make you some iced coffee." And so I took out these little pouches and for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to make this coffee. <laughs> because everything was written in Korean. And I was feverishly trying. I was turning the thing over and I looked at the box and right as I was about to give up, my eyes caught notice of numbers. Yes. And then after that, letters. That was all that I needed, 120 milliliters. And I said, yes, that's all. I just need to know how much water to put in my cup so I can make my coffee for, uh, for Olivia. And I did that. And I know that some of you guys are thinking, what kind of an idiot are you to not know how to make instant coffee? But I talk about this to raise a very simple point, right? to raise a simple point about the issue of language. How many of you guys have had issues before because you couldn't communicate with someone because they spoke a foreign language. Okay, so you don't have to raise your hand. That's great, though. <laughs> but a lot of y'all. How many, okay, again, rhetorical question. How many of you, have, you, you can raise your hand if you want. It makes you feel better. That's fine. How many of you had issues trying to put together this beautiful, uh, I don't know, a, a model toy from Japan and couldn't find out what to do with the remaining 15 pieces because the instructions were written in Japanese. Oh, my goodness, a lot of you. Wow. Or you had problems. Every grade was good on your report card except for that one stinking foreign language class. <laughs> Sarah's got issues with, with languages. So here, you ever wonder, okay, Last week, we talked about the fact that, okay, the, the world, eight people, everything was destroyed, eight people. They all spoke the same language. And where in the world, why in the world do we have thousands of different languages today? Yeah, Jian shaking. I don't know. That's what she said. <laughs> I love this feedback. I feel like you know, we're a completely different congregation. We have an extra hour of sleep. But where did all these languages come from? We're going to talk about that today. It's very simple. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. So Genesis 6 through 9, which we looked at last week, Noah, the flood, all of humanity was wiped out because of their sin, except for eight people, Noah, his wife, their three sons, and three daughters-in-law. So eight people, they come out of the ark in chapter 9. God makes a promise. And chapter 10 has this weird deal about the table of nations where it talks about the 70 different nations that come out of the family of Noah. Noah's three sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Out of them come 70 different nations. And then chapter 11 goes into this weird section about the tower and the city of Babel. So what's happening here? Because we're going to, if you look in verse one, the whole world had one language and a common speech. Then why in chapter 10 does it talk about all these different nations and languages and tribes and clans because chapter 10 tells it like it is and then chapter 11 says this is why we have all of these different nations it's just not necessarily in chronological order but it's explaining the situation and chapter 11 tells us this is why we got into this kind of a situation okay genesis chapter 11 here we go verse one now the world 
had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that uh, so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is God's word. Tower of Babel, the city of Babel, uh, pretty famous, pretty popular. There's a great uh, internet site called Babelfish. I don't know what the fish is for, but Babelfish that translates stuff, um, kind of similar to what Google Translate does. You type something in in English and it will translate it um, into a different language. But this idea of Babel is pretty foreign, even in common co- in, 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 in society, in culture at large. I want to talk about why this is included in Scripture and how all of this, even all of this, points us to see that it's all about Jesus. Um, three thoughts here. The first thing is this. We seek significance and salvation through our achievements. Okay, this is what the, the, the tower builders of Babel were doing. Okay, let's look at what it says. Verse 3, verses 1 and 2 basically set the stage. Tells us where we are. Tells us that there's one language, one speech. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Use brick instead of stone, tar for mortar. They they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What's going on here? First of all, a couple things that you see here. Verse 3 begins and verse 4 begins with the language. It says, come, let's do this. As you, as you read into the original language, you begin to understand that when they say, come, let's do this, it's not just, hey, guys, I have an idea. Maybe we ought to bake some bricks and maybe we ought to build a city. There's a sense of, 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 of willfulness and a sense of determination. It's the sense in which um, a, a, a football team, a basketball team, as they're ready to, to, to charge out, um, onto, the, onto the field as the game begins. They're, they're firing each other up and they're saying, come on, let's do this, let's go, let's attack, let's win. There's a defiant, willful spirit in them. There's a determination and a passion and a fire to do this thing that they're intending to do. Why are they so riled up? And what is it they're so riled up about? Oh, they're making bricks and stuff. And then it says in verse 4, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Here's what they're doing. It's about 100, 150 years after Noah from eight people. Uh, most scholars would say there's probably about 30,000 people. Okay, 30,000 people, um, they're kind of hanging around. And some of these cats say, you know what? We need to build ourselves a city. Back then, everything was just kind of wilderness. They're all out in the wild. Let's build ourselves a city. Let's make ourselves a city. Why? So that we won't be scattered all about. Let's make ourselves a city so that we can be together. We can be a people. In being together, there's safety. But they say, in the middle of all that, they said, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. A tower, the idea of a tower, which was common in the ancient Near East, was, a, was in the form of a ziggurat. It was basically like a pyramid that reached high, high, high into the sky, and there were stairs on the outside. They weren't functional stairs. People didn't really climb these things, but they were symbolic of the gods, uh, of, of people being able to reach up to the gods, and then the gods would come down with a blessing on these stairs of the ziggurat, of the tower. And so what's significant about this tower is they're saying, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? They believe and they think and they're hoping and they're dreaming and they're wishing that if we make this tower, that we can get to heaven, and if we get to heaven then maybe what happened in the generations past will not happen to us. Maybe if we make it to heaven, then we can live forever. 
See, there's a fear in their lives. There's a fear of their own mortality. If we reach, if we build a tower that reaches into the heavens, we can have our salvation. We can get to God. We can get to heaven. And that we will forever, forever have life. Not only do they say that, but they say, come, let's do this. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves. Why do they need a name for themselves? I remember when I was a little kid and growing up in church, I got this as an award for something in church. I got this plaque. It was a wooden plaque, and then it had like this black thing on it and had writing. And it said, a good name, it has a Bible verse, I forget where it's from, but it said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And as, you know, think about this, as a third grader, I had no idea what that meant. What does it mean that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches? My first thought was, I didn't choose my, how do you choose your own name? How do you choose a good name? I didn't, my name is David. No, I didn't choose that. My parents just started calling me David as soon as I was born. I couldn't choose a good, how do you choose your, how do you choose a good name for yourself? And even if you could choose a name. Is it that much better than great riches? I don't think so. I'd rather be called some weird name and have a lot of money. This was weird to me. What does that mean, a good name? Rather to be chosen. What is a name? It's what people think about you. It's how people define you. This is your legacy. This is your testimony. This is your story. And the people of Babel are saying, you know what? If we build this tower, then we're going to have a name for ourselves. People are going to remember us. We're going to be immortalized. We're not going to be forgotten. Every single person has in our hearts a desire. Because J.I. Packer says, the Tower of Babel, modern society, is a mirror of Babel. Because all of us are longing for our salvation somehow. We don't want to die. We want to live forever. All of us are longing for significance. None of us, none of us want to get to the end of our lives and be forgotten. How many of you, your dream in life is when you get to your funeral that no one is there? When you get to your life, there's nothing good to say about you. This is a fear that we all have. We all want to be, we all want to be significant. Everybody wants to be a somebody. Everybody wants to be known for something. Everyone wants to know that their life made a difference at the end. Everyone wants to know that their life was significant. And that's why we build these towers of Babel today too, don't we? The Tower of Babel was their achievement, their crowning glory. If we make this, then we will have our salvation. We will be immortalized. We will forever be remembered. And we'll be somebody. Because other nations will look at us. We'll look down on them from the tower. They'll look up at us and people will say, you know what? They got it. They did it. They did it right. You see, every single one of us has in our hearts a longing, a desire, first of all, to be immortalized. And second of all, to have a name that people remember us. We don't want to, our deepest fear is that we'll be forgotten, that our children, that our grandchildren, that our ancestors, that the world will think about us, and they'll have nothing to say. It's a desire of that ancient, that old in the 80s, 90s, that movie fame. I want to live forever. I want to learn how to fly high. And I can feel this as a a good thing is coming. I'm going to light up the sky. I'm going to live forever. They're going to remember my name. Baby, remember my name. All of us have a desire to be remembered. And we seek that so often in our achievements. Why we try so hard to live the kind of life that we live. That's why we try so hard to do all the things that we do, isn't it? Isn't that why? I mean, they said it's not just a tower that they're building. They said, let's make a city. Let's make for ourselves a city. Why? Uh, Tim Keller talks about this often. He says, a city today, why do people move into the city? Why do people go to New York? Why do people go to Chicago? Why is the deepest desire of every Texas football movie, a Friday Night Lights, the desire, the understory of all of that is you got to be great at football so you can get out of this podunk town. Dillon, Texas ain't going to make anybody famous. You got to get out of Dillon. You got to get out of here. You got to go to the city, go to Dallas, go to a big city. Why? Because there you can actually make a name for yourself. You can't do that where in the countryside. You can't do this in the world. You can't do this in this tiny little suburb. You can't. You got to go to the city. 
That's why everybody in Ecuador, nobody wants to stay in Cabeno. They want to go to Quito. That's their dream. Because in Quito, we can make it rich. We can make it famous. Why do people go to New York? Because there's Broadway. There's Main Street, Park Street, all of these things. Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue. We can be a famous designer. We can be rich. We can make all the money. Wall Street. That's why people go into the city. Because they think if I can achieve, then I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be significant. I'm going to have my salvation. I'm going to be immortalized. People remember. People don't forget the CEO. They forget the peons. They forget the minions. But they don't remember the people that make it big. And the desire of the Tower of Babel is mirrored in every single society. And it's mirrored in every human heart. That we want to be someone. That we want to be someone. We want our lives to make a difference. It's why people go through a midlife crisis. Because they come to the 40, 50 year mark of their lives. And they say, is my life really counting for anything? Am I doing anything with my life? Why people drive themselves into the ground in order to make themselves into something in order that at the end of their lives they might say that I did something with my life. See, this is what the tower builders at Babel were thinking. If, I, if we can achieve this thing, then we're going to be someone. We're going to, be, we're going to have our salvation. We're going to make it to heaven. We're going to be significant because everybody wants to be somebody. Everybody wants to be a somebody. The challenge here, the problem here, the difficulty is that we want it so badly that we will ignore God in order to get it. That's the second thing that we see. We want it so badly that so many people will ignore God in order to get that significance, to get that salvation. And they forget about God. They ignore God. Look at what it says here. If you look at in in verse two, we see this in, in, in few ways in this passage. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. And settled there. The movement throughout Genesis 1 through 11. As soon as Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. They were kicked out east of Eden. Well, there's movies, TV shows called East of Eden. Because the move east of Eden is closer and closer to wickedness. Further and further away from God. Genesis, they get, Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden east of Eden. Cain, after he kills Abel. He goes further east to the land of Nod. Going further and further east. And here we see as men moved east eastward they're continually moving further and further and further away from god because they want to make their identity they want to find their salvation they want to find their significance apart from god and we see that the people of babel are in line not with the line of seth the godly line but with the ungodly line of cain because just like cain they're moving eastward and just like cain they too were building a city it says in chapter four with cain's cain built the city to protect himself See, so many times we try and find our significance. We want it so badly, want so badly to be somebody that we will ignore God in order to get to that place. But look at what it says. Keep on reading. With a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? Because everyone knew that the heavens were the territory of God. That's where God lived. That's where God dwelt. And they said, you know what? God, we don't need you anymore. We're coming into your world. We're coming into your territory. So if you would excuse us, we got work to do in the heavens. We don't need you anymore. So they're trying to kick God out in order to build themselves a name. And then it says that we may make a name for ourselves. Throughout Genesis chapters, one, actually just the first five chapters. In the first five chapters of Genesis, you will see this idea of names a lot. And every time names come out, 11 times in Genesis chapters 1 through 5, you know what's happening? A superior is naming the inferior, right? Adam calls Eve, right? Because he was created, take care of her. Adam names Eve. Adam names the animals. All this while, the superior is naming the inferior. And it says, let's make a name for ourselves. What are they saying? Then we no longer need a superior. God, we don't need you anymore. We will rule ourselves. We will lead ourselves. We will dictate for ourselves what life is supposed to be. We don't need you anymore, God. Thank you very much. You've been good to us, but that's all we need. And then it says we'll not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Remember the cultural mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. After the flood comes, God says to Noah the same thing. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth again. But they're saying, you know what? We don't want to do that. We don't want to be scattered. 
It's a willful defiance of the call of God in their lives. They wanted so badly to build this tower, to build this city, so that they could be together and not be scattered because they didn't want to propagate the name of God. They wanted to propagate the name of themselves. As we live, we'll only be able to make one name famous. We'll only be able to show the greatness of one person. Is your life in your desire to find significance in salvation? Is your life a desire to make your name great and your name famous? Or is it wrapped up in a singular desire to make the name of Jesus Christ famous? You know, as we, as we build this building out there, right, my deepest thought, my constant prayer, God, I don't want to build a Tower of Babel out here. I don't want to do this so that anyone says this is about us or this is about a church or this is about a name. We want to do this for the sake of the kingdom of God so that the kingdom's advancement may take place through us. And no one needs to ever know who we are. That's not important. If we are living for the name and the honor and the fame of Jesus Christ to make him known, then it will change the way we do things. It will change the way we live life. It will change the decisions that we make. Sometimes we take, I don't know, it will change the the places that we go. So this group of people that we think, you know what, if I hang out with them, if I hang out with them, if their opinion matters to me, what they say matters to me. If they think I'm cool, if they think I'm someone, then I'm going to feel like I'm someone. And even if it means ignoring God, if that's where we think we'll find our significance, then we will follow them, ignoring God. And we're like the Tower of Babel, the builders of the Tower of Babel. We've got this job opportunity. We've got two jobs laid out before us. One job pays us significantly more than the other one, but that will require us to compromise some of the things that we value and some of the things that God tells us that we need to live for. Maybe it will make us work on Sundays. Maybe it will make us skip church. Maybe it will make us um, compromise some of our beliefs and our values as found in Scripture. If we're trying to advance our career, if that's all it's about, then we're going to live for that and we're going to ignore God because this is what the people of Babel do. We find our significance in our achievements and we ignore God often in our desire to make a name for ourselves, to find in ourselves a sense of worth and significance. Our deep longing, our deep desire is to, is to be married and to be safe and to be, and, and, and to be uh, protected and to find security. We've got this... A uh, non-Christian guy who's pursuing us, but he makes a whole lot of money, and he's saying, hey, "Just be mine, and then I'll start. I'll, maybe I'll start coming to church." And, and, and you know, in your heart of hearts, your friends are telling you that this is not the right person for you. That you shouldn't compromise your your values and your beliefs. You shouldn't give in to this kind of of missionary dating, so to speak. But you feel like, you know what? I'm going to be taken care of for the rest of my life. And even if it means ignoring the call of God, that's going to make me feel like I'm someone. This relationship is going to make me feel like I'm someone. Whose name and whose honor and whose kingdom are we living to spread? They didn't want to spread the glory of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, as he told them to. They said, we want to stay together and we want to build our own kingdom. We want to make the name of, of the Babylites famous, the Babylonians, who this would actually ultimately become. We want to make the name of Babylon exalted and glorified. And how much do you value being somebody? Do you value it so much that you would compromise your relationship with God for that? That you would ignore the name of Jesus for it? I remember talking with a high school student um, some time ago, a couple years back, and he was fighting this tension between knowing what his heart of hearts knew he ought to do as a follower of Jesus Christ at the same time realizing that he desperately wanted to be someone, to be significant in the eyes of the world. And he was in high school, but there was this huge party that, at UCF. And back then we were instant messaging. We were talking on the computer, and he said, this party is tonight. And I told him, you know what, I know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. Right? So you shouldn't go. And his mind was set up. He was set. I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to dance. I'm going to have a good time. And so I said, well, as you go, if, you know, if I, can, I can't change your mind. It's your decision. I can do all that I can do, but you're going to make your mind up. And I'll be praying for you. And you tell me afterwards how it was. He said, all right. And then he left. He came back about 1 o'clock. This was, I, I, I think it was a Saturday night into Sunday morning. He said, I'm back. And I said, how was it? 
that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, was it? He said, no, actually it was. Actually, it was great. I had a great time. People loved me. I got drunk. I did things that I, you know, all this stuff, and he's just talking about it. And just this defiance within him. And I said to him, you, you know what, I, you know, you, you've tasted that, you've tasted God. Ultimately, you're going to have to make a decision. In the meantime, I'm going to be praying that God will tug at your heart and pull at your heart and show you the absolute bankruptcy of a life that has lived apart from him. And he said, all right, and I'm scared of your prayers. I'm scared that life is going to fall apart, but I'm going to do my thing for now. And if it gets bad, then I'll come back to the Lord. And his desire for significance through the achievement of being popular in the eyes of the world, was so strong that he was willing to ignore God. And he was willing to, to, to say, God, I, that, that's fine. I, I know that you've been good to me. I, as I was reading, as I was thinking about this, I came across a storyline blog about the book called The Giving Tree. Has anyone read this book, The Giving Tree? It's a, it's a great book. If you haven't read it, read it. The best 10-minute investment of your life. You can put your hands down. Thanks, guys. Giving Tree tells the story of a, of a of a little boy and this tree. And it's personified. It's, it's not a real, you know, wouldn't really happen because a tree starts talking to the boy. The tree loved this boy very much. And the boy would play on the tree. He would climb it. He would swing on his branches, have a great old time. Tree loved the boy and the boy loved the tree, says the author, Shel Silverstein. As the boy got older, got too old for him to climb up on the trees and stuff like that. And he came around to the tree, and, and, and the tree was so excited. He said, why don't you come and play and, and swing on my branches, climb up on the tree, climb up on me. And, and the boy said, I'm too old now. I don't need you. I don't, I don't need you, but I, I need money. Do you have any money? The tree said, I don't have money. Oh, but I've got, app- I've got apples. Why don't you pick the apples off of me, and you can sell it, and, and then you can be happy. The boy said, okay, and he took all the apples off, and the tree was so happy that he could make the boy happy. The boy got older and uh, didn't come around too much. One day he came around, and the tree was so excited. The boy came back around. He said, come, let's play, let's play. And like, I can't. I, I want to get married. I want to have a wife. I want to have a family, and I want to build a house. Can, do you have a house I can have? I don't have a house, but... But you can cut down my branches. Once you cut my branches, then you can make yourself a house. And, and so he did that. The boy cut down the branches. He made himself a house. And the tree was so happy. So happy. He could make the boy happy. Years went by. Tree got lonely. Boy came back around. He's obviously a man now. And the tree said, come, let's play, let's play, let's play. And the man says, no, I don't want to play. In fact, I'm sad. I'm very sad. Life is not good. I want a boat. I want to go sail far, far away and just forget about everything. Do you have a boat? He said, I don't have a boat. I don't have a boat, but what if you cut me down? You chop me down, you can make a boat, and then you could go and you can sail far, far away. The boy cut down the tree, and he sailed far, far away. The tree was happy. The tree was happy that he could make the boy happy. Came back around again. Tree was happy, but the tree, there was nothing left but a stump. The old man came to him and grayed, and the tree said, I don't have any apples for you anymore. I don't have any branches for you. I don't have anything. All I have is I'm just a stump now. The old man said, I don't have teeth to eat any more apples. I don't have strength to swing anymore. I don't have, I can't do any of these things. I'm just tired. All All I want is to rest. And the tree said, well, you can sit on me. I don't have much, but you could sit on me. And he did. And the tree was happy because he loved the boy very much. So Shel Silverstein writes this book. They asked him, why'd you write this book? Right, this book, The Giving Tree, was the answer to a question that an author named Brennan Manning had asked him years ago. He said, how would you describe your relationship to God? Michelle Silverstein thought about it, and then he wrote this book, The Giving Tree, and said, this is how I treat God. I'm the boy. God gives me everything that I need. And he makes 
It makes him happy to give blessing into my life. But I take everything and I ignore him and I walk away. This is what the people of Babel did and this is what we often do. That God has blessed us with so many things. He's blessed us with so many things. Blessed us with life, with a job, with a family, with a church. Blessed us with so many things. We take these things and we build our towers of Babel and we say, God, thank you very much for all that you've given. I don't need you anymore. I'll be seeing you later. See, the tragedy of that is the third point and the last thing that I want to say to us. The last thing I think the people of Babel show us is that these things cannot be achieved. They can only be received. Significance and salvation cannot be achieved. They can only be received. What in the world do I mean? If you look at what it says, they build this great big tower. They think they've become something. They've reached into the heavens. And then verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city. You see, they think they're all that. They made this great tower. It's so high. We're in the heavens. And God's like, I can't even see it. Let me go down and take a look. This is what he's saying. The greatness of our, of our achievements is really not that great at all. In fact, as the Israelites are reading this, as they're hearing this tale, as they're hearing this account of what actually happened, from the get-go, they're realizing that this project is doomed for failure. Why? Because they knew a little something about making bricks and about buildings as they were driven by the slave whip in Egypt. They knew a lot about stone and about making things to last. And so when it says, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly, Moses adds this little commentary to make them laugh. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And immediately the people are la- they're like, are you kidding me? You want to build something that's going to last? I don't know this, but they knew this. And the commentary- commentaries know this. That you don't build it with brick and mortar. I'm sorry, with brick and tar. You use stone and mortar if you want something that's going to last. And so from the outset, the readers are saying, you know what? This is not going to last. From the outset, they realize that anything that we try and do apart from God to find our significance, to find our salvation, to reach the heavens is an exercise in utter futility. And God looks down at that thing and he says, come, let's come down to see it. Verse 7, let's go down and confuse their language so that they cannot stay together. The very thing that they wanted, the very thing that they wanted, was flipped on its head, and God scattered them. They come to the building one day. They're doing a pretty good job. They're pretty proud of themselves, patting each other on the back. One of them opens their mouth to speak, and all of a sudden they start speaking Swahili. And the other dude's like, what in the world? And he's thinking in, that la- in the language that they all knew, but then he starts speaking Japanese. And then another guy comes in like, what is the commotion? He comes in and he starts speaking French. Como se va? He's like, what is going on here? And all these people start speaking different languages and they start fighting. They're like, you Stu, why are you talking like that? And all of a sudden they have no other course of action but to group themselves up with people who speak the same language and then they split. And they scatter to fulfill the purpose for which God initially called them. To scatter and to make much of God throughout the nations. See, every time we build a tower of achievement, of significance, of status apart from God, that tower is always going to come crashing down. Always going to come crashing down. You ask anyone who has achieved some modicum of significance, of success, of achievement in this life, and ask them, how's that working out? you feel happy? feel happy with your life? Ask them, you've got everything. You've got everything that you want. So um, Vanity Fair interviews Madonna. She's got everything. She's on top of the world. You say, Why are you, what, what, what makes you keep on coming out with, with new albums? Why do you keep on doing this? And she says, I'm driven by this gnawing fear of mediocrity. I know that I'm a somebody, but I have to keep on doing in order that I can still remain a somebody because I will wake up the next morning and feel like I'm nothing again. This is Madonna. She's like the, 
A-list celebrity. Everyone knows her. Everyone wants to be her. In fact, when I was a kid, I dreamed that I was dating Madonna. But she says, even though I'm a somebody, I still have this longing to be a somebody. This guy that I was talking to, this high school guy that went to this party at UCF, just constant back and forth. His life completely fell apart, just wrestling. I'm still, I'm still talking with this fellow. He's finally coming back to the Lord God, coming to his senses, and every conversation, he's like, I, really, I can't do this without God. But still the tug of the world is strong. I know that these things can continue to come crumbling down, but I keep on going back to it. I know that I need God. I know that I need him in my life. But these things are so readily available, I just can't let go of it. But I know I'm going to come, I'm going to come back to God. See, towers in those days were also symbols of security. Right? They would climb up on a tower, and then if people attacked them, they could see. And they would find strength, and they would find comfort. Do you know, you know people who have made it to the top of the heap? They've made it to the top of their, their food chain. they made it to the top of their company or the honor roll. And, and they've got all of these achievements. They've built this tower of achievements, and they think, you know what? Because I've made it thus far, that I'm going to be protected from the challenges and the hardships of life. You know people like that, don't you? I remember speaking with people like this. And all of a sudden, tragedy comes. They get fired from their job. Someone in their family gets a terminal illness. Right? The house burns down. Right? These, I, I'm thinking of people in my life. They've made it to this place. And all of these things happen. And they, here's what they, in, invariably what they say. This wasn't supposed to happen to me. The reason I worked so hard was so that I could be protected from this kind of stuff. I'm thinking of a, of a friend of mine. He was a dentist, ball and dentist in, in, in Northern Virginia. Had a million-dollar home, just filthy, all of these things. He had everything, and his home burns down. I think this was supposed to happen to someone else, not me. I worked way too hard for this. This false fleeting sense of security that our achievements give to us. And we know that we've put our hope in these things. When, when trouble comes, we begin to think to ourselves, you know what, it wasn't supposed to happen like this. It wasn't supposed to happen like this. Not to me. I've worked too darn hard for this to be the story of my life. But the reality is, we can't achieve these things that we so desperately long for. We can't. It's not the way we're made. And we learn from the earliest pages of Scripture that's not going to happen. It's not going to work. You see, the problem was they could not get up to heaven. So the answer that heaven came down to us to give us the things that we so desperately needed, that heaven came down to us to give us the salvation that we could not achieve for ourselves. That God sent his son. He was somebody. He entered into our world in order that when he hung on a cross, he could be made nothing. In order that when we put our trust in him, we could become a somebody in the eyes of God. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the what? Gave him the name that is above every other name. You can't achieve that for yourself. It can only be received from God. The significance that you're longing for can only come because somebody has graced your life and turned you into a somebody. We can't achieve these things because we think we do. You know, the, 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 the guys who are building Babel, at some point they looked at that and they're like, you know what? I'm doing a pretty good job. Doing a pretty good job. In all of our lives, our achievements might get us to a place where you think like, you know what? I've done something. I'm doing a pretty good job. But a time is coming when that tower is going to crumble, just like it did for that high school student. The tower is going to crumble. It's going to fall. You want an alternative? Here's your alternative. Proverbs 18.10. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. There is your security. Not in all the things that you can build up in all of your bank accounts and your offshore accounts and all of these things, your grades that you've built up. And I'm go I've got a future. I'm going to go to the Ivy Leagues. That's not, that's not your security. 
You know, how many people should have gone to that school, that thing, made it that big, got into that med school, and they didn't? Or when they got to that place, they realized, that's it, there's got to be more, there's got to be more, there's got to be more to life. You might get to the top, but you're going to realize very quickly that the top is going to get inverted. The bottom's going to fall out because we can't achieve our own significance, security, status, salvation. Because you know what? There's a better way to live. What if we began to live for the name that is above every other name? You know, Jesus said that in this world, there are many who are first who are going to be last. And many who are last who are going to be first. There are going to be people in this, in this earth who are praised by the headlines and the news and the internet. But when they get to the end of it all, they're going to realize that their salvation is far, far away from them. Because what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? But Jesus also says there are a lot of people who are last in this world. who are going to be first in the kingdom. There will be many people that the world says they don't have what you, what, what you need to have. You don't have the, the, the fame. You don't have the accomplishments. You don't have the achievements. You don't have the money. But God looks at your heart, your desire to make the name of Jesus great. And he's going to say, enter into eternal rest. And in heaven, you will have far more treasure, far more homes, far bigger rooms than a lot of people who've got it in this earth. What good is it for us to gain the whole world and lose our soul? Our greatest fear shouldn't be in failing. It should be in succeeding at all the wrong things. So many people build their Tower of Babel only to realize that that staircase was leaning against the wrong wall. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. We will, he will never fail us. He will never fail us. He will never disappoint us. We live for the name of Jesus. That's significance. That's significance. Though we may never make it big in this life, we may never make it famous in this life, to be a headliner in heaven, that's the calling that God has for us. There's recently a man in, in Peru. His name was Bert Elliott. He passed away. He was a missionary. 1949, he got married to the love of his life. And then six months later, six months later, how's this for a honeymoon? Six months after he got married, he went down to Peru to live in the jungles with his wife to be a missionary. Walking through jungles, going up mountains, going into primitive places. This is what he did. He didn't have any kind of medical or dental background, but he saw people were hurting. And so he looked in their mouth. He found out where he needed to put Novocaine. He went into the bedroom. He looked at his medical books. He prayed with his wife. And then he went and he pulled teeth. Did that for 50 years, 62 years actually. Seven years after he got there, 1949, he got there, 1956. Okay, 49, he got there, sorry. 49, he got there, 56. His younger brother, Jim Elliott, and four other friends were speared by head-hunting Alka Indians in Ecuador, about an hour away from where we go in that Amazon region. Jim Elliott was famous. In fact, one of the most famous quotes attributed to Christian men came from his lips. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And at, in, in his 20s, he died. And right after his younger brother died, his brother Bert, Bert said, should I even go? why should I go back? I've given my life to God and, and he's taken my brother. I thought God was going to protect us. And as he was praying, he realized that in order to find life, that there has to be death. And so he went back to Peru. He planted 150 churches, but no one ever heard of Bert Elliott. This is what, this is what he said. He said what, one day he was talking about his brother, Jim Elliott, and he said, my brother was a shooting star that lit up the sky. News of his death, this one Christian said of Bert Elliott, he was telling this story. He said, Bert said his brother was a shooting star that lit up the sky for all to see. He said, Bert, he was this faint little star that no one ever saw. But every night it rose. And it faithfully 
did what it was called to do, lining itself in the orbit of God's glory. Faithfully for 62 years, it rose and it went down. It rose and it went down. That's a life that matters. That's a life of significance. It's being faithful to the call of God, making Jesus known in the little things that we do. At the end of our lives, we will not regret a life lived like that. Let's pray together. As we reflect on and respond to the word of God, As you, how's your life? It's not bad to long after the things of this life. It's not bad to build a tower. But where it encroaches into sin, into dangerous territories, when we begin to ignore God, either put our hope for significance in life, in the things that we do, rather than in what was done for us by Christ. Cross of Christ, this is the giving tree. Where we find our significance at the cross. We find our salvation at the cross. We find our hope at the cross. We find our security in the cross. Let's come before the Lord God and let's confess Lord, I'm sorry for the towers of Babel that I'm building in my own life. To build a name for myself on earth. Maybe it's to be famous in our church. Maybe it's to be famous in your workplace. Maybe it's to be famous in the eyes of the world. Maybe it's to be famous in the place you work. We can only spread the name of one master. We can only spread the name and make much of one person. If we're making much of ourselves, we can't make much of Jesus. If we're making much of Jesus, we cannot make much of ourselves. Whose goodness are we showing? Whose greatness are we showing? Whose glory are we demonstrating in our lives? If we have been living for our own name, let's repent of those things and ask the Lord, that he would turn our hearts back to him. Every choice that we make would not make much of ourselves, make much of Jesus. We're seeking to make much of Jesus, not ourselves, and we'll take risk. We won't be afraid to do things that we're scared to do for the kingdom of God. We won't be scared of being rejected by that person whose value, whose opinion matters so much. But we'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll invite them to church. We'll share the hope of Christ with them. If we're living to make much of Jesus, then we won't be afraid of taking that step of faith into that ministry endeavor that we feel God's calling us to, but we don't feel like we can do it. We're afraid. We're insecure. Making much of Jesus will take that step because it's not about us. How's it working out as you build your Tower of Babel and as you climb that on your way to significance? It's a never-ending journey. It's an eternal treadmill trying to find worth because it cannot be achieved. You're waiting for a bus that's not going to come. Waiting for something that cannot be had apart from the grace of God. Spend a few moments in prayer right now, confessing to the Lord, confessing these things and asking the Lord, Jesus, change my heart. Be my cornerstone. Be my rock. Be my salvation. Be the foundation upon which I build my life. It's not about how much I can do. It's about all that you have done for me. Help me, Lord God. Let's pray together for a couple moments and then I'll, I'll pray for us as we continue.
confess to you the modern day towers that we build in order to find significance. Whether some of us build these towers using the bricks of our talents, the bricks of our finances, the bricks of our looks, the bricks of our personality the bricks of our service to you, the bricks of our grades, the bricks of our reputation in the community, the bricks of the achievements, the accomplishments, all the great things that we've done in our field, in our industry. We confess that we've left you out of the equation, and when we do, it's only a matter of time before these towers begin to fall in order that we can turn back to you and find our ultimate hope in you and you alone. And so Jesus, would you help us through the power of your spirit that you would convict us and help us to see the areas of our lives where we have turned away from you, to see the areas of our lives where there's doubt and lack of trust that you can provide for us what we so deeply long for. As we surrender these things to you, we pray that you would capture our hearts again, that you would capture us with a grander vision of our lives, to know that the only life worth living is a life that's lived for a, a name far greater than our own. So help us, help us not to say at the end of it all, I did it my way, for my name, for my kingdom, for my glory. But help us to say that we did it all your way, your will, for your name, for your kingdom. To know that at the end of it all, Nothing will be more worth it than to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few. I'll put you in charge of many. So God, we thank you. Love you. Thank you for giving to us by faith that could not be earned, could not be achieved. Thank you so much. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.